We can start now. Stand up. And give in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, a comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fullest blessing. Our treasure is a good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse us stain and save our souls, a good one. Okay, sit down. We have now come to the third talk, the life of the new martyr Constantine. And just a little bit of a summary, we, uh, St. Constantine was a Muslim, was a Turk, during the time when Mytilini, Lesbos, the island there, was overtaken by the Turks. And as a, even though that he was a Muslim, a Turk, through miracles that occurred in his life, getting sick and other things that happened to him, he slowly, slowly came to the faith of the Orthodox. And during the first talk and the second talk, I have emphasized that it is a practice of Muslims in many countries, like, in, like in, as I've said, I've been to Kosovo, and I've seen it in Kosovo, but in other countries as well, where they actually come to Orthodox churches when their own priests or whatever they're called, they're not able to help them in their needs, and they have come to Orthodox churches, they, they look up to St. George, they look up to the Mother of God. They don't believe the same way that we do, but they know that there is power within the Orthodox Church. And it is noteworthy that in um, Indonesia, where they're very fanatical, unfortunately, but that there are people there that have converted to Orthodoxy, uh, a, like a very small minority, and to convert to Orthodoxy there is pretty much like your sign in your death warrant. Like it's really difficult to live. We live in a freer society, even though in some ways, slowly, slowly, there are things happening, as you noticed in America with the 9-11, and in London recently, a few days ago, where there were some car bombs, and probably the same is going to happen here. So we are beginning now to taste our, our time of comfort, our time where we used to sit back and judge everyone else from other countries that were in difficult times because when we are comfortable we easily judge and why did they do this and why does they do that in Indonesia and that's not canonical and that's against the canons and that's against this and that's against that so we're all open to that type of thing just like in Russia when it fell to communism uh, those who left were able to escape and came to the comforts of the West America Australia sat back and judged the Orthodox Christians there as being compromises and slack, etc. Of course, there were some compromises there with, the, with some hierarchs, etc. But in general, and they would put down the people and say, whichever, who, whoever would go to a Moscow Patriot Church is, is um, schismatic, they've got no grace and all these things. And this is all from the comfort of our lounge room where there is no persecution. But slowly, slowly, it's becoming a little bit more difficult to be Christian. And some people can say, well, why does God allow that? Because without these difficulties, we become spiritual 
pigs. Now, a spiritual pig is one who does not really lead a proper spiritual life. He might appear to be spiritual or she, but he's not. And like a pig looks down and got his head always, can't look up to heaven, even though there might be people, could be me, could be any of you, who appear to be orthodox, but really our eyes are down on the earthly, on the worldly, and our lives are far from spiritual. So God allows in his mercy, persecutions. Now, all you've got to do is look. For example, the Serbian churches are very in in interesting. They rarely have times of respite. They rarely have times where there's no persecution. Apart from the fact that they were under the Muslims for 500 years and came out of it and remained orthodox, then they, they had the, um, the problem with the um, Catholics, where many of them were massacred because they wouldn't convert, and then there were problems with the, um, the communist, etc., etc. You see that, that they are, that's a country of martyrs. In Greece, certain areas had the Turks for 400 years, and before that, the Arabs, you know, when they started taking over a lot of our, like Antioch and Jerusalem and things like that, became under Arab control, and they were persecuted a lot as well. So persecutions are God's way of bringing people to true orthodox spirituality because when we are comfortable, orthodox spirituality is not really real. We need a blessed are the persecuted, doesn't Christ say that? And if you want to live in Christ, then you know that you must be persecuted and through many tribulations you will be saved etc the bible is full of those quotes we have the examples of the martyrs we have the examples of the writings of the saints etc this is the true way does that mean that we throw ourselves into temptations does that mean that for us to be orthodox we go to indonesia and stand in one of their marketplaces and call out that christ is the true god and that their religion is false or whatever i mean this is not called god does not call us to do that you will find some lives of saints where that happened but they were very exceptional. here's one that's exceptional in general if you read the 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 lives of the greeks under the under the turkish rule they did not go and do those things the confession of faith Speaking back to the Muslims in a, in a rude way, which some of them did, and said that your religion's false, etc., etc., came about when they were, um, sometimes the, they would, the Muslims would make up and say, oh, you said you're going to become a Muslim, and make it up if they were against them. Like, say, a Tur uh, one of the Turks was against the Greek man. He would go to the court and say, oh, he said to me that he wanted to become a Muslim, and then they'd start court cases and start to say you have to change if you don't change then we're going to kill you etc etc and then they would speak up but in general that did not occur now because some people say oh you know we have to confess continually the faith and that's that's correct but we have to understand the correct interpretation of what this confession means because if you look at the lives of the early martyrs the ones in the first 300 years after christ went um was ascended went to heaven and the church was established back 2000 years ago for 300 years the church was persecuted but within the society of the empire of the roman empire which was pagan 
They used to believe that the, the sun was God. They had statues. They very um, darkened. They had the, the religion of the, the, what's called paganism. They believed in idols. The whole, their whole way of um, belie was believing was incorrect. We, we read from the lives of saints, that's why it's very important, that many of our saints held positions within the Roman Empire. So, for example, one that used to, in a way, spin me out was that um, we had orthodox martyrs in jail ready to be sent to the Colosseum to be eaten by lions or to be crucified or just to be, you know, tortured. And the jailers, the ones who were taken care of them, some of them were secret Christians. Now, if we go with the, the belief that Oh, we must always confess the faith. Well, I'm asking then, why didn't they, who were jailers, and not only that, they could have been involved in taking the, the martyrs to their place of execution, but they didn't speak. Some did, you read, that's all of a sudden, some would call out, I'm also Christian. But that was not always. St. George was a general, was a high up uh, military officer in the Roman uh, Empire, he, he was a Christian for a while before he decided to confess the faith. And many times when they did confess the faith was when they were exposed, caught out, etc. There are exceptions, but as a rule. That shows us, because I used to also believe many, many years ago, oh, we have to always confess wherever we go, like parrots, you know, wherever we go. Orthodox is the truth, this, that, that, that. But then when you read that, you know, you see and you say, well, Wait a minute, why didn't these saints speak up? Now, some will say, because they lived in persecuted times. But even today, people are hostile to Christianity, even here. In this country, there are people that are hostile, and that's why they pass in laws which are anti-Christian, abortion laws and other laws. Um, this new one with the gays now, that's, a, that's, a, that's trying to pass more and more and more laws which are anti-Christian. But yet, we do not see many going out and confessing and saying this, but the time will come well, when it's when there's when it's necessary. Of course, we will speak up, and there are times when we do speak. But it's not a a, a person feels compelled in a neurotic way that they have to speak continually, and that if they don't speak, it means that they're compromising and that they're going to lose their souls. And yet, in the time of the Roman, um, the Roman, the pay, and during the time of, I'm sorry, the um, the Arabs, where Damascus and, and um, Jerusalem were overtaken by Arabs, there were many Orthodox who used to actually be in the service of the Muslims at that time. They used to serve them and show them respect as heads of the... even though they took over, and even though a lot of them were beasts, they, the Orthodox still would show honour to them as the leaders of the country. St. John Damascene, for example, one of the greatest saints in the Orthodox Church, we read from his life that he used to go and dine and he used to work and he was, at one stage, the right-hand man of the head of wherever, I forgot where they were, Jerusalem or Damascus. Um, he was the, the right-hand person. He was a Christian and he was the right-hand man of the head of that area, the Muslim. Now, why didn't he confess and say, just a second, you know, I'm Christian, you're this, and start to have arguments. No arguments, no nothing. 
When, there was when it was necessary, he spoke. When it's not necessary, we don't speak. How do we know? Because Mike asked the question once. How do we know when to speak, when not to speak? And the answer to that is, it is extremely confusing at times when. That's what we call discernment, the accuracy. When to speak, when not to speak. And this was an activity which the saints would try to cultivate within themselves, to be able to determine when to speak, how to speak, what to say, at the right time, for that person. Sometimes the saints wouldn't say a word. And we have the example of Christ himself, who, when Pilate or Herod and all that spoke to him, he remained silent. When we go to the churches on Good Friday or the 12 Gospel readings on Thursday night of Holy Week, and you listen to, of course, if it's in Greek, but if you have the English version, and you read in there, plus if you read the Bibles, the New Testament, you read in there that he didn't say a word. You know, are you, but that he did answer, he says, are you the, the Son of God? And he said, you say. But he never directly said things. And what is also strange there is that he didn't put down the pagans. He actually said, well, the sin is those who brought me here. But he never put them down. And it's very, very important to note that actually Christ rarely spoke against the pagans of that time. Why? Because they were in darkness. They did not have the truth. They, were, they, were, they had this is the religion of theirs, which was darkened, and therefore he didn't put them down because they never knew. And this shows the importance of the conscience that Christ does not condemn those who in their conscience are ignorant, not know the truth, but, what, but who he will condemn will be us, not them. So where we go and yap all the time and say, and he's going to go to hell, and that religion, and that, and we teach our children yucky churches, and that's a yucky church, and that's a heretic church, and the Pope's a devil, and all these things, which you might say, oh, some of the saints said it, they said it in times when there was unions and things like that, and there was other, other situations, and if they did say it, they were full of grace, while we are full of, I'll leave it for you, for your imagination. So, the um, it is extremely, extremely important to note that putting down the others and not ourselves is not. And that's why a lot of people, see in the beginning there was more people came into the talks, but later on the number decreased. Why? Because they wanted me to talk about uh, heretics and put them down and talk about hierarchs and talk about ecumenism which the time will come but before i will speak about these issues i want to make sure that we do what's called in educational theory prerequisite we have to have what's called the background knowledge to be able to cope so if i'm going to speak to you people about say ecumenism or about the, this union with the russian church the moscow area. the other day i was at a, i was at a church and someone walked up to me and said, what do you think about this? It's not important for some of you because some of you aren't really into it. But what do you think about this union that occurred between the Russian church and the Moscow Patriot? And I said to him, well, 
Uh, I started to explain a little bit to him because this person was an educated person, actually a teacher, and um, an elderly person. So he, you know, he he was been in the church for years. So I started quoting some things from history, and he was looking at me like a chimpanzee. And I said to him, "Do you have you read nicely? Have you read or um, have you read um, church history?" And the head going left and right like the chimpanzees, when they're, not, when they're not sure of what's going on. I'm not putting the person down. I'm trying to get across. He says, no, I haven't read much. So I said to myself, well, what can you now explain to this person? So that's just, a, that's just a stupid... If I started to speak to him, that's just as stupid as me uh, trying to teach Year 11 maths to a Year 7 child because the Year 7 child goes, oh, can you show me what's on... You know, sometimes when the kids used to come in after... If you just taught a Year 11 class, they might come in... A year seven, they go, oh, what's that? And you go, oh, that's calculus. Oh, can you teach me that? Now, I think that if I started to teach that child because he asked me calculus, I think that the people would come and put the strap on me you know, the, and take me to the psychiatric unit. It is really, really difficult and it's wrong to start to speak about topics when people haven't got the proper prerequisite knowledge. That's wrong. And that's why people ask me those questions, or some of you might ask, well, how about this, how about that? I will check the person's knowledge. I, once someone rang me up and we spoke about that topic, but he had some knowledge at least, and he had some knowledge of history and this, and it was enjoyable to speak to him and the person was receptive and heard and was listening. But other people, you speak to them and it's like they're, you know, you're speaking another language and they do not understand and then they become hostile and aggressive and then you lose your peace and quiet and it becomes a whole terrorization. So we've got to be very, very careful. Let's leave the judging. Let's leave this uh, orthodox chauvinism, which is like, you know, uh, thinking that because we're orthodox, we're good, because we've got the truth, which we do. However, however, on the day of judgment, God will be very, very precise in how we, on how we lived the orthodox life He's not going to ask us about the others. And this, if you know, when I used to, years ago, when I first came in the church, I was teaching at the time, and I used to go to school, and I'm, this is like a confession now, and I used to, and, and when you first come in the church, always people are judgmental. I was. It's just a thing. It's called what's called the, the, the um, uh, a person that's like an amateur a person who hasn't got real experience and we come in and we judge everyone. So all of a sudden I had to deal with people, some who didn't believe and atheists and some were teachers who didn't even believe and some were mocking Christianity. So therefore the thoughts would come to me to judge them and say, oh, they, you know, they're going to go to hell or whatever, whatever, whatever. So when I speak to you, I speak from experience. I'm not going to speak to you from reading a book. And I found that that troubled me because it actually was taking away my peace. And I found that the more I judged, the more I couldn't even pray and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even read hardly anymore. It was very terrorizing. And um, so I knew that something's not right. But then I'll get the thoughts. Oh, but the Bible, doesn't it say that, uh, you know, what's Christ got to do with darkness? And it's all that we can go for quotes. Because remember when Christ was in the, on the mountain and he was telling by the devil, the devil was presenting to him quotes from the Bible, from the Old Testament. If you are God, turn these stones into bread and quote and all quotes. So when we are 
when we as Christians start to enter the spiritual life, the temptations occur to us. And the demons come to us and, sip, 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 and say quotes and that and this and that. And that's why people are quoting continually from the Bible to justify their, their action. So those, those thoughts were coming to me too. But that and there and they're going to go to hell or this, this and that. So what happened then was I made a conscious effort to stop but also to remember don't judge. So I said, what does a judge mean? Does that mean this or that? It's all confusing. When you first come to the church, it's very confusing. As you go on in the church, it gets even more confusing because you read more. It's only after some time when the person begins to uh, live an orthodox life, and that doesn't mean just going to church on Sunday. It means live an orthodox life 24 hours a day, not just part-time, and then the other rest of the time we're pagans, but yet at the same time we judge the others that say that they're pagans. Um, it came to me the following, which I like to share with you because it might, I think it will help. How I actually was able to combat this problem, which we all have, I'm sure all of us. The more we go in the church, the more we like to look at ourselves because the devils also remember that that's what they do. That's their job. If they can get us into pride... They've done, they've done their job. If they can actually um, get us to be proud. Um, if they can bring us into pride, then they've done their jobs. They'll even help us fast. They'll help us do prostrations. They'll help us even read. They'll help us even remember quotes from the Bible. They can do a lot of things for us. And especially, they can not bother you in, with your passions. Such that the person more and more starts to believe that they're spiritual. This is the monastic. This is why monasticism is very important in the Orthodox Church. Because it's the monastics which show us the real inner life those who do not have contact with monasteries and monastics and reading their works as well and getting advice etc those people go a bit astray monasticism is really really important and the devil hates monasticism and that's why when communism came to russia the first thing that they destroyed were the monasteries and were killing monks and nuns etc and in greece we've had persecutions and in other countries persecutions the first thing that's hit is the monasteries are the monasteries so what happened with god's help i came to the conclusion that those people don't even know the truth those people have not been given the opportunity to have the truth. But I have. I have the truth because I have the, I, I, I said to myself, I have orthodoxy. I know that it's the one holy Catholic apostolic church. And therefore, it be, it started to, I started to reverse it onto myself and go, how am I going to give word? And now I remember, I think, the, when I went to Manathos, where I met back in 1984 or 5, that Elder Paisios there, which I went to his house 
to his little little caliva there, and I and I met him, and we'll speak in there, and he gave me that example personally, which I found I never forgot. He said, "I don't even know how I'm going to be judged." So I looked at him a bit funny because he was from young in a monastery. And he was living a monastic life. And not only that, they say he did miracles and etc., etc. So he was telling me, I'm not sure how God's going to judge me. So I was dumbstruck by that. How, how God's going to judge you? To myself, I said, you don't praise people. To myself, I said, oh, he's going to be a saint and whatever. And he said, kind of as if he knew what I was thinking, you might ask, why? How can I, who've been living in a monastery from young, be not sure if I'm going to be saved? He said the answer, because I have been in a monastery from young. I know the teachings of the Orthodox Church. And then he gave this, this, this example, which has always been in me from then on. He said, there might be a person who from young has been taught to kill. Could have been from just like some people were taken into prostitution. Or whatever. There's a lot of people that have got circumstances of why they are the way they are. And it's a passion in them. And he goes, there might be a person that has a passion. For whatever reason, he has this passion to kill. And he might kill 10 people a day. But from struggle, from his conscience, he doesn't want to do that. And he makes an effort not to do it. And he only kills two people in the day. And this is his answer to me. In God's eyes, he could be better than me because it is God looks at not the like a teacher looks at and gives marks 80, 90, 70, 60, 50. There's not much room for effort there, even though they try and put little things in the reports now with, which has got effort, you know, A or whatever. But in general, the mark is the mark. When you get your HSC, they don't say to you, you know, you've got a T, I don't know, I don't know what they call it now, but in the old days, HSC mark of um, you got 150, which, which is the lowest, and then say, but you got a good effort. I mean, you can't take that paper anywhere where you go, oh, they said I had, I, I, I've got, um, I made a lot of effort. You know, it doesn't work. So, but in orthodoxy, in spiritual life, it's completely different. God does not look at the results, but God looks at the disposition of the heart. God looks at the effort that the person makes. And that's why Father Paisu said in this case, which is books downstairs, where he said, a number of books, he said, in God's eyes, he could be better than me because I have the truth. I've been given orthodoxy and yet I might not be putting as much effort into struggling as much as that man has. It goes on the amount of effort. Some people by nature are not sexual, let's just say. St. John Climacus says that some people are born and they're not, act, they're not, they're not um, they don't become aroused as easily as some others that are, that are much more into it. And yet, even another person who's not, who doesn't have that passion of lust, we look at that person and go, oh, isn't he so pure? And he's, or she's clean or she's this. And we look up to them and think, oh, they're, they're, they're really good. But yet, the other person who you might see looking in a bad way or another person who's been tempted continually, we say, oh, off. They're, they're, full of, um, they're full of lust. But in God's eyes, that person 
could be better than that person because that person over there, if he may look indiscriminately once or twice in the day, let's just say, he has the potential to look 200. But the why he didn't do 200 was because he made an effort and that's what God looks at. That's why we're very confused on what is orthodoxy. And that's why God allows persecutions and sufferings to happen to us so that we can start to learn true spiritual life. I mean, many of you would have thought, oh, no, that person, he's a, that person's a virgin. But we know that Saint, that, that Christ gave the parable of the five virgins that were wise and five were They were still virgins, but they never had any love. They never had any mercy. They never had any compassion. So that helped me. So when I came back from Greece and then I um, thought about it more and more and read, and I started to see that, these people, even if they are, say some of them say some of them go to hell, whatever, I don't know. They could be in a better place than me. Because the more you know, the more you'll be judged. And we as Orthodox know more than those of the other faiths, because we have the fullness of the Orthodox teaching, the the, the fullness of the truth. And won't it be funny or or, or um yeah, funny in a way, you know, won't be who has the last laugh, but won't it be funny that on the day of judgment that we see others who maybe even a Protestant, but all he had was the Bible, because that's all that's all they've got. They don't have tradition like we do. That's all they got. But from the Bible, he read into it, and sometimes when you speak to these people, you'd be surprised that they actually enter. Uh, they enter into a lot of meanings. I go, how do they know that? I mean, that's from the what he's saying is from the Father's like some certain things on about humility and struggle and all that. And I'm quite surprised of how they know when they don't have any Orthodox books of the Holy Fathers. Well, we do. And you speak to some Orthodox people and they don't even know hardly anything. So that's not all. Of course, some, some struggle. Saint Nikolai Velimiric, a, a Serbian saint, he actually says that we have the fullness, we have the opportunity to be sanctified. And others that don't have that fullness for whatever reason, some of them make some progress in their limited way, but still do, and might become better than us. So this is where we've got to get away from this judging and look, always put it back on ourselves. Now, I was meant to back to, to do the live, but sometimes we something comes and we've got to address it. And that's very, very important because we do live in a time of judging. And the demons love when we judge. If they can get us to judge, they will leave us alone. I met a person once many years ago who didn't lead, it wasn't, he led a, a, an, an active life in sins. And not judging him for that, that's, you know, we've all got our pasts and all got our problems. And this person was in the church for about a year. And I said to him, I was a priest, I said to him, because he confessed, how, um, how are you going with your struggles? He goes, I haven't got any problems. I go, okay, so, but you fell before? Yes, I've fallen um, oh, for years. Go, okay, and how, and so now? Because I don't have any desires, I'm not thinking, I go, okay. And I realised that he had been, he had fallen into deception. He had, he had, he was, he, um, 
he was full of vainglory and self-love and the demons did not bother him in that area, in the area of lust, for example, which is very, very common for the young, especially if they've got a past of it. That's why we read St. Mary of Egypt and we see that her, because she was an ex-prostitute, how much she had to struggle with that, with that passion in the desert for so many years. So it's better not to have, but if you have, then there's always repentance and sometimes people can become higher than even those have never because they've got humility. Anyway, this person said that. So as a priest, I had to help the person because, you know, you don't leave people in to be vainglorious and to be in pride because that's really bad. So somehow, slowly, 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 with commemorations for the person, etc., um, and a few knocks, knocks meaning where you sometimes you have to put the person down to get the pride out of them so they can see that they've got it. Because some people, you know, they don't show anything, but when you put them down, then they start to show. Anyway, this person, after a while, got knocked around enough, and uh, suddenly he, what was hidden in him came on him like, worse than a tsunami, those tsunamis, whatever you call them. And he didn't even know what hit him. And he goes, where did all this come from? I thought I was pure. And I go, you're not pure, just that the demons didn't bother you. And after that, he got knocked down and the vainglory comes back now and then, but not like before, for obvious reasons. So this is why we have to be careful because we can think that we're spiritual and that we're holy and that we're all this and that. But really, it could be because we're not being fought. And the reason why we're not being fought a lot of times is we're not struggling. We're not struggling properly. We're not, and we, we can be fasting. I know people that can do no oils in Lent. Uh, five days a week, Monday to Friday. And then they do Saturday and Sunday with oil. They do this for seven weeks. So I'm amazed because as I see other Christians that can't hardly do anything and they just really they become um, nervous and they start to hit their children if they're married. They get really bad nerves and anger problems and all these things. And I've, I've often wondered, why is that? How come some people are healthier? Some. But in general, from experience, what I've noticed is that when these people have had their pride knocked out of them a little bit, they can't even do hardly anything with oil. So I've had people that could do oil, no oils for days and days and days, but once they got knocked around a bit, they said, oh, I say to them, oh, just commune a couple of days, sorry, prepare by not having oil for two days or something before commune. They go, oh, could it be one day? But before it was, um, oh, give me as many days as you like. I've got no problems at all. So this is the... Uh, the 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 as we say the deception or prelest in Slavonic, which is which exists today, and because we are far away from orthodox spirituality, which is within the monasticism, close to the monastic spirit, because the monastics are constantly struggling with their passions and they have more experience in that. That's where we know we're going correct. And how do we know if we're going correct? How do we know that, that we're going on the right path? If you're being hit, if you're falling, you're pained about it, you 
you try this, you try that, you find it hard to pray, you find it hard to fast, you find it hard to keep your mouth shut, you find it hard to stop judging, you find it hard in your thoughts all over the place, and you're, you just feel that, oh, can I be saved? If you have that thought, then you're going all right. But when you have the other people that are really confident and they do their prayer rules on time and they're reading their books and they are going to church and uh, everything's perfect and everything's nice, they, we don't, I'm not telling you to judge those people because each one's individual. I'm saying, look at yourself. We're just using examples like Christ said, the Pharisee, the, the, the Pharisee and the publican and this and that. So in general, people that things go correct for, they have a correct, everything's going all right for them, most of the time, from my experience, there are problems there. So, St. Constantine, the new martyr, uh, one night, the mother of God appeared to him, shining brightly, and said to him the following. I'll read it for you, and then I'll, I'll talk. Rejoice, Constantine, faithful servant of my son and me, his mother. Because of the continual call on my name, I have come to you. Remember that St. Constantine was in the jail and he knew that the Turks were going to, well, he already had been tortured and it was more to come. And where, but where we believe that the martyrs stood there and took all the pain and it was really easy, which is completely fairy tales, that they, the, this, we see from this life that he was scared. He was scared of denying. He asked prayers from the Christians. The Christians, if you remember, were in the churches praying for him, that he doesn't deny Christ, that he endures the martyrdom, and he was scared. And the mother of God came. Now, as I said last time, we do not believe in apparitions. So why am I reading this? Because this came, we're accepting this after the saint martyred. He's a saint now. He, he does miracles, etc., etc. And Know this, it is the will of my son that you be martyred in the queen of cities, which is Constantinople, and finish, because he was somewhere else, and finish the course of your contest there. Tell the people of this city to cease their litanies for you. So she was saying, the mother of God said, to tell, tell she, she said to um, St. Constantine, tell the people that are praying for you not to pray for you. Why is that? Tell the people of this city to cease the litanies for you. They should pray for themselves instead, so that no further disaster will visit them, for it has been decided that this city be burnt to the ground, just as the Sodomites, since they too have imitated their actions. However, regarding the drought, well, that, was the, that was a big problem they had there, the drought. We had drought too here for many years. Um, because of the, they, they had a, like a drought problem, which was because of their sins. And they also, the mother of God says, but not only, not only, not only is, is the drought a problem, I'm also, this city will be destroyed because of the sin of sodomy. Have, however, regarding the drought for which they pray, when you enter the boat for your departure, the clouds will release their waters. So they will receive water, but the city will be destroyed. Of course, a lot of times God has prophesied and said that things will be destroyed, but if the people repent, then God goes back on what he said. Like we threaten a child, if you don't stop, you know, you know, I'm going to smack you, whatever. If the child stops, it's okay. If it doesn't, or whatever other punishments is used. Um, or the naughty stool, like Mrs. Nanny says, and things like that. It's all these different um, uh, practices that are around now. I like that, actually. But um, now this thing, 
if we never had the younger members, I would go into more detail, and I will go a little bit because they wouldn't. I mean, I'm not scared to speak about those those topics. Why? Because it's everywhere. The only people I'm scared to speak about it is people that haven't been influenced by the TV because they haven't got one, or because they're homeschooled or things like that. they haven't been influenced. But all the kids at school have been exposed to everything. And therefore, I have no problems in that. But the difficulty is in this particular audience is that it's going to be difficult. So I will speak, but I have to use some more um, complex because I like to speak simple, except when there's a problem, then I've got to speak a bit more complex because then, you know, but I always like simple because I want everyone to understand. The older, the educated, the young, the little ones. But in this topic, it's not appropriate. However... People relate to and say, oh, the, this sin, this sin of sodomy, for example, is, is to do with the gays, for example. And people always say, oh, you know, the sodomites, the sodomites, and this and that, and they're this and they're evil and they're bad and they're going to go to hell. And, 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 and. And um, that's not my business to judge those outside of orthodoxy. That's not for me. The church judges those who are part of her and teaches her children, the church teaches her children, that that is wrong. And this is very important because the more we do that as Christians, the more actually we make these people that are, move away. And that's why a lot of them hate Christianity. Because Christianity is always going against. But, you know, let's reverse. Let's leave them for the time being. I'm not, I'm not interested at this time about them. I'm interested in Orthodox Christians. Let's reverse, like I said at the beginning of the talk, onto ourselves. And... Because we've got a lot of people who yap, yap, yap and always talk about the rudder and the rudder and quote and quote and quote. And the rudder says, if you pray for heretic, you do this. And they go on and on and on and quote from the rudder as if they're quoting from the TV week. It's not... The rudder is very, very uh, deep and it's not for everyone just to look at it and just quote and yap about it. The pivalion is the rudder in Greek. And I read this years ago, this part, and it really opened up my eyes, and I became less judgmental because we've got problems of our own that we have to talk about than rather go down to Oxford Street and um, make some protests with banners and, you know, the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the, the fire's going to come down and, and destroy and this and that. Some of those people are ignorant. They don't even know what's going on. Some of them have been brainwashed from young. Some people, um, there's a whole thing about it. I don't want to go into it, but there's a whole thing about it. And let's leave them. Let's look at the Orthodox. And it says here very interesting on the canons about that. And it does speak about that, actually, because the canons, uh, the canons are there for our help to interpret them correctly and be very, very careful, not just to read it like you read a novel. The canons are not meant to be read like a novel.
Some people say that the church has no business to be in the, um, the private chambers of a couple. Okay, that might be a point. Because you hear people, oh, no, no, they, the church should keep out of, the, of that area. Interesting. Okay, the church has got out. Basically, the church doesn't have much influence except for on a few people. No one really wants to know what the church teaches about, that, about, about those things, about marital relations, etc. The church has basically not got much influence. But since they're out, we've got the, the progressive people that have come in now into these areas through magazines and TVs. And one would say, oh, well, you know, at least it's not the church, but it's them and they're enlightened. We've got Ida and other people, enlightened women, and other that's feminists and other males and this and that. It's just all, they're all there. I'm just wondering, how come they're allowed to get, and the Dolly magazines, which have got into everyone's, um, all the young people, etc. They're allowed to have in there, and they get into everything, things that kids aren't even interested in, but then they say, oh, it's normal, and this and that. And really, you see people in, experimenting in that, in those things, and not even interested but they do it because that's what the Dolly magazine says. So out the church in Dolly. Out the church in the feminists. So we've got the feminists supervising uh, during marital relationships there, what's right, what's wrong, what the man can do, what the man can't do, what the women should do, what the women should demand because she has equal rights. That's all allowed. But the church doesn't have a right. God doesn't have a right to speak about those things. Well, why do they have a right? And it's normal, and that's good, and that's and that's and that's a good way, and and that and this, and there's whole manuals written about it. And not only that, we have sexologists and sex therapists. They've got their own hang-ups, and they're going to teach other people all about that. And yet, even though the church has been booted out a while, a while ago, I'm just wondering now that these people are being are enlightening. The, the, the world on those topics because they know best. I want to know why everyone's got so many hang-ups. You see today that those, the problems in, those, in that area are the worst. Like Sweden, for example, with a very high suicide rate of young people, etc., where they were free. That was there. That was um, the, um, really a revolution there where everything was free and parents would tell their children that all types, there are alternative lifestyles and go through the alternative lifestyles which has now been introduced here in Australia into schools, etc., etc., through the system. Homophobia and this and that, etc., that's the key word today. Not homophobic. I'm cynophobic, <laughs> not homophobic. got no problems. I can go to the shop and if they're there, whatever, I've got no problems. I can talk to them, I can... Be nice to them if they if they if they need um if they're hungry, we can feed we can help everyone. We're not homophobic. The church is not homophobic. The church is xenophobic, and that's why even someone like um that evangelist uh, Billy Graham, once when he was having an interview, he might say, "Oh, he's Protestant." They'll just look, but just listen to his his mind, and he was on the Larry King, which is a popular t show in America. Uh, live and all that, and the, uh, the, 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 the interviewer said to him, and how about the, the gays and this and that? And he goes, well, 
there are many things which are sins. Not just that. And he goes, and, you know, cause are they going to go to hell? He goes, God is for everyone and God accepts everyone if they repent. So he left it everyone. Not We shouldn't just focus like a magnifying glass, like we used to do when we were young. We used to get the magnifying glass, put it in the sun, and magnify a piece of paper and used to burn. We used to find it really mad. And that's what we do. We magnify the church's teaching into one little, little thing, which is burning a hole, which is the gays are bad. And that's about it. And that is wrong. And now I like to do what's called mind-blowing, to, to bring, to knock out the, the common belief so we can just forget about that and look at things differently. Because the church, let's introduce the church back into the chambers. Not Harry Potter's chambers, the proper, you know which chambers I'm speaking about. Let's bring the church back just for tonight. And then some of you can boot it out later on if you want and go back to the uh, magazines, the Women's Weekly. And you know who's got the rawest, you know who's got the worst deal of them all? Women. Because where the feminists believe that they were, that they were going to be freed and given so much, they have been, what's the word in English? They have been put down to such an extent that there's, there's got nothing hardly going for them. They go, oh, we've got equal pay. That's okay. And we've got equal rights. We've got this and we've got that. And yet the internet dating on the, those internet dating things are full of women and men, but I'll just say about the women for the time being, who are there looking for this and looking for that. And I'm a divorcee. I've been divorced twice and I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. Not all divorces. I'm, don't get me wrong. Some are circumstances which are allowed. I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking about in general. Don't try and judge and say, oh, you're putting down divorced people and etc. I'm talking about in general. They got the raw deal. And men who believe they have to be real studs as they, and, and it's all wrong. And then they go, and it's normal and this and frequencies and how long and this and that. And people are just going crazy because they can't keep up with it. And women believe, oh, it's this, and that's normal, 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 and that's not, and this is, and that is, and that's not. And women are just going crazy and gets worse. This sin of sodomy, for example, when a person does it with anyone, but if a person does those things with their wife, eight years. Eight years. Person with his wife, but that the others, who we, who we always put down and say they are the worst, get only three, and yet from that we can see that what we believed was wrong and the worst and the brimfire and stones and this and destructions and all that is really could be in our own households. But yet that's not been said. Eight years. When I read that years ago, I understood. The, and we said, well, how can the Holy Fathers say such a thing? Some people just say, oh, that sounds like, oh, that just spins me out, I don't understand. How come it's like that? Well, that's how it is, because the fathers are enlightened by God. I've got ideas of why. It's not necessary. Because normality is there. And why does it have to occur? And to be truthful, from my little experience dealing with people, a lot of those husbands have other problems deep down. And I will let you work that out. It's, you know, but it, 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 the, the, the fantasy is quite active. 
of what is the real purpose of it. And that's how, that's how bad it is. So it's eight years. So let us leave, let us go into our own backyards and let's clean up our own backyards. And unfortunately, nothing of that's been said, but it's on the television, it's on all the films, and it's really, really um, rampant now. But we don't hear much about it in church because it might be not nice. And remember as well that the church has been booted out years ago. And because the church supposedly has been booted out years ago, people don't even know. People don't even know it's a sin. I have dealt with couples and they say this and they go, oh, is it? I didn't even know. And yet it is. And it's, and it's worse than the, than the first ones we talked about. And if, it, and, if, and if it's making you think about why and why and why, these are from councils which were enlightened by God. This is how the Holy Spirit enlightened the fathers to decree. That's what they said is the teaching of God. So when we look at that, remember that. So, and thus it took place that the city was destroyed. I haven't got details about that. The saint is sent to Constantinople. So following these events, the Agar seeing Constantine's perseverance and unchanging stance, decided to send him to Constantinople where he wrote a letter to the Pasha uh, explaining all that had happened. When, when the martyr set foot on the ship, just as Our Lady of the Theodogos had foretold, it rained so the earth was drenched. So they got their rain in that city. But later on, as we said, it was um, destroyed. Obviously, when St. Constantine told them what the Mother of God said that the city would be destroyed, they didn't repent. Like in the time of Noah, where Noah would say God's going to you know, destroy the earth, etc., etc., but no one repented. And the same now, the same things are being said, and people don't want to listen. That's, that's, everyone's free to do what they want. Um, but as in Noah's days, the ark, those who were part of the, who entered the ark were saved. The same for us as Orthodox, the ark is the church. How about the others? God takes care. We, I don't know. We try. We try, but we've got to be careful that we, we um, leave God to also work with his grace on bringing people to salvation. The, yes, upon arrival at the Queen of Cities, which is Constantinople, which was the most beautiful city in the world, and everyone was jealous of it. It was the Christian capital of the whole world. And uh, a lot of people tried to attack it, but at the end in 1453... The Turks um, attacked and um, they lost. And it's interesting, a little bit about a little bit about ecumenism, just a little bit, just a little bit, a little bit of a touch of history, so you can understand. I'm not going to go into detail, but it's interesting that Constantinople was was um, there were attempts to take over Constantinople years ago, before centuries ago, and that's where the Akathist hymn they they sang the Akathist hymn, and then it was, and they, that's what we do on that Friday, the Akathist hymn on the Friday of um, the fifth Sunday of, of Lent, in memory of, the, of that. And it's a lot of times that the Mother of God protected the city from falling into the hands of the enemy. But this time, it didn't help. It could have, because the Mother of God appeared or, or made the ships to sink. And why couldn't, in 1453, why couldn't the same thing have happened with the Turks for something to occur? Because the people at that time didn't, go towards the mother of God, towards Christ, to ask help. They went towards the Latins. They asked the, the Pope at that time, send us your men, protect us, help us, 
because the Turks are going to ransack our city and take over. And that's what the Orthodox were asking. They asked the help of the, the Roman Church at that time, which, as you know, in 1453, we were separate. So, what happened the day before the fall of Constantinople, and I may add, the cause of the fall? The Catholics, the Roman Catholics, and the Orthodox concelebrated as if they were one before the Roman Catholics uh, de uh, denounced their heresies, which they had many heresies. And that's, the, that's today, there'll be union as long as they denounce their heresies. But then, in 1453, they did not denounce their heresies, and the Orthodox says, oh, who cares about that? We, we need help now. Let us celebrate together. And if we celebrate together, you will help us. Let us celebrate together. They celebrated together. The next day, the whole city fell. That's a bit about ecumenism. That's what, what, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to go up and yap and all day and all night about union and things like that. Is that. That's in itself. Union cannot take place unless those who are uh, outside of the Orthodox Church, not part of the Orthodox Church in their, in, in their dogmas, denounce their heresies. When that happens, we will join. That hasn't happened, there will be no joining. That is a little bit of that. So, and upon, upon arrival in Constantinople, the governor questioned him according to custom. In their presence, the martyr replied his confession. By order of the governor, he was lashed and confined to some, some, a building there. During his imprisonment, the saint requested a spiritual father so that he could confess. The elder, seeing that he was, a young, was young, said to him, so he wanted confession, because strength, confession gives us strength. The more we take away, the more we can relieve ourselves of our sins through confession, the stronger we can become spiritually. You say, oh, oh my father was sick and he went to confession, but he still died. We're talking about spiritually. doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get physically better. That's not, that's not important. If that comes, that's good. Spiritually stronger. I mean, my mother was paralyzed right to the end of her life. She and she, I used to commune her any every day, but she still died. She was still paralyzed right up to the time. I mean, the last few months of her life, all she could move was her eyes because she had that motor neuron disease, and she was completely paralyzed. And I communed her every single day, but yet. She still died. She never got better. Because, but she was becoming spiritually stronger. So the saint wanted spiritual help. He needed to relieve himself of his sins. And even though one could say, but he's going to become a martyr. Yes, but it's still necessary. Even the saints found it necessary to confess. Someone's got the view of, oh, we only confess when we do sins and this and that. So, I mean, sorry, we only confess when we're really, really bad. Or what, but the saint, this saint was one step away of being uh, executed, but he wanted to confess. And the, and the elder said to him, no, not knowing much about him, but saw that he was young and said, Excellent is thy confession, my child Constantine, but remember that the torments of the infidel Hagarines, in other words, the Turks there, are dreadful. He goes, their tortures will be horrible. Beware, therefore, that you do not become cowardly if you so wish we are able to arrange your release because the Turks had their price. So the Christians would collect money and could give them the money um, to have him released. 
Holy Father, observe me well. The older looked at him carefully. Then respectfully, the saint uncovering his hidden parts, revealing that for this, for his exposure to the torture of stocks, which was his thigh was lacerated approximately. Anyway, he had all cuts on him and things like that, very deep, which shows he's already been through torments. This, this particular elder didn't know. Seeing this, the elder was shocked and at once venerated the saint. The martyr said to him, said to the elder, no one should offer money for my release. In the space of a few days, my struggles will be over, just as Our Lady Theodogos told me. Only convey my regards to His All Holiness, Patriarch Gregory, who knows me well, and ask his prayers for me. You know, martyrdom is not just for them. Martyrdom, we all could be martyrs, and as I've said before, not with bombs strapped to us and all these things, which are not even martyrdom. And you know the word martyrdom, I'm actually scared to use it now because because of this publicity that's going on with what people are doing with these suicide bombs, you know, people can think that you are, that you, are, that you believe the same. So when you say martyr, they go, oh, martyr, he might be, you know, he might have something underneath him. That's why his stomach looks big, because he's got a belt underneath there. He's going to press a button. So people are confused now with what is true martyrdom. And even the orthodoxy, I mean, some people don't even know. And they go, oh, what's he, what's he saying? I thought martyrs are only those people that, that, that uh, fly planes into um, buildings or go and bomb people and kill people and things like that. They're the martyrs. No, no, this is the problem now. And we have to be very careful when we use the word. Just like, you know, when we preach Christ, because of some fanatical people, which, you know, like especially some Protestant sects where they just go in the street and they just fanatical, the ones that dance up and down and jump in and doing somersaults and... Um, put their hands on people and the person falls down and Christ be with you and you're going to be healed. And all that, and all that has confused people. So when you go to speak, they go, no, is this person going to do a somersault hit me in the head? So sometimes you've got to be very careful because people, the, the, the name of Christianity has been ridiculed. So sometimes I look and say, oh, you know, if these Muslims, for example, or others, and they see Christianity and they see why don't they come or why don't they convert a lot of them? Well, I think it's a bit hard to convert when you go into some of these places where it's like um, a circus and people doing somersaults in the air and other people shaking and, and convulsing and, and screaming and singing and people with their hands up in the air and all these type of things. It scandalizes people and therefore you have to be very careful don't judge because some people find it hard to come to Christianity because of those things. And God will judge according to the person's conscience. Some people actually say that is ridiculous. Christianity must be bad to have that type of thing. They don't even know orthodoxy. They don't know about um, the more sober life in the, in the Christian church. They just know that type of thing. So not, you know, people will be judged according to their conscience. Some people, they've got a bit of a point in some ways. And that's why it's hard today for people to come to the Orthodox Church. So, at dawn they subjected him to more questioning, but seeing that he was unwavering in the faith of Christ, flogged him again, shutting him up in the bathhouse, torturing him like merciless and untamed beasts. The third day they interrogate him again, promising him great wealth and honours if he, give, if, he, if, if he give in. Now that is really important, that 
that this happened if you read the martyrs that they always offered something good money positions glory power and if you change your faith we will let you go and that's important and also that happens to us in a lot of ways the devil can come along and say now if you just don't you know just don't say things to the people at work for example not that we're going to say but just to say if someone says something which you have to answer are you christian they've asked you you have to answer no some people say no, no i'm not i'm not why because they're scared of being mocked but yet the same people reading the lives of saints and go oh look how he confessed the faith and they were he was but we also have the opportunity or someone's invited to a party to a 21st for example knowing that they're going to play satanic music like acds or somewhere it's obvious that it's you know lyrics to the demons and someone says oh if i say i'm not going to go they're going to think i'm a nerd they're going to think i'm this they think i'm that and so they're scared and so they go so here we've got the opportunity for mockery also it's difficult for me for example walking in the street because you know in the years ago, it wasn't that difficult, but it is more difficult now because people are confused after that 9-11. Some people think, I'm Jewish. So then they've got the Muslims shouting out sometimes and saying, you know, they think that because they don't like them because of what's happening over overseas. And others think that I'm Muslim. So then they shout out. So sometimes it's actually very difficult to walk out in the street as I am, just like it was in the ancient times. So we're living it now. So one solution can be that I walk out in civilian clothes. And it's going to be difficult for you because some, some of the time might come whereby as you're going to church, there could be some people that, oh, some churches were attacked at 9-11, after 9-11 here. And we'll see whether we will be as zealous as what we make out that we are. Will we go? Or will we stay home and go, no, I've got to protect my family, or they might do something to me, etc., etc. So, you know, the time's coming, so we've got to be very, very careful and be, start preparing ourselves more spiritually because God, I mean, in Russia, people didn't expect that communism was going to come I mean, people, it was, there was some un unrest, but like there's unrest now. But in 1917, to get rid of the Tsar, kill his family, I think the year after, and basically the whole place to become communist, the whole of the Russian Empire, such that the whole of Russia became one big concentration camp. I don't think they actually realised that was going to happen. So we don't know. Don't think, oh, we're in a country and we're free and this and that. We don't know. We must always be preparing for... Our death might come tomorrow, might come tonight, but we also got to prepare for upcoming persecutions. But just in general, because every day for a practicing Orthodox Christian is persecution. Maybe not from people, but from demons, etc. So we are living, you know, we always have to be living our life as Christians. Then the Pasha said that he ordered that he be hanged. The ministers of the devil... That's them speaking. That's, that's the life. 
This is because they were imposing themselves on Christians, forcing people to apostate from orthodoxy. So we see sometimes in the church, we hear references like the Papists, the Papists are Antichrists. And a lot of those things are written in times where certain areas, especially in Europe, where the Uniates were coming in and trying to convert orthodoxy, orthodox people to um, Catholicism. And those type of reactions and those really strong words of the orthodox saying, these people, are, it's wrong, they're demons, they're this and that, that happens. But other times when there was peace and quiet, as we said, those type of things didn't occur. People just have to know that their position and what is the true faith. This, however, we have... Um, so God knows the remaining parts of his sufferings. There was no real account of the rest of his sufferings. This, however, we have learned after they had hanged him with a rope, they buried his body in a nearby Turkish graveyard. They did this because the saint's body bore the seal of circumcision and they were hoping that he would still be considered a Muslim in the afterlife. They had such an obsession that he'd become Muslim. He confessed Christ right to the end. They said, oh, well, because he's been circumcised, then he's probably still one of us, so we'll put him in there. And, you know, trying to, with all their hearts, trying to, you know, win, to say that they won by burying him there. But he, they didn't win. I hear people say things like um, the church is for old women, the church is for kids, or the church is for weaklings. The church is for weaklings. But when we read the lives of saints and we really start to practice orthodoxy, we see that the church is not really for weaklings. The church is for people that have got strength, they've got courage that are brave, because it's very, very difficult to stand for what you believe. As I said, for example, the person, you know, oh, my cousin invited me to the party, and how can I not go, because he's going to think that oh, I don't like him, and this and that, or they're going to make fun of me, whatever, that's just one example, and people go. But then you see others that say, I'm not going, I'm not going to go there to listen to lyrics against the uh, uh, blaspheming Christ. The church is not a place for weaklings, actually, and that, sh that shows, during times of peace, the churches are full. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's really Christian, who's not, who's really practicing Orthodox life, who's just slack. It's really hard to know. But where it really comes out is when the persecution really starts. That's one thing. That's when we separate what we say, the men from the boys, etc., etc., where we actually see people who confess their faith. But as I said before, not only that, just being Christian today. Remember that we might not be persecuted by people, but the demons do persecute us. The more we lead an active spiritual life, the more they attack. I had a person that once had said to me, um, when I pray, I get pulverized. And what I do is I don't pray because I don't want him to bother me. That's a, that's a denial, in, in a sense. Others that say, I give in to my husband if he demands certain things, like we said before, because some men demand certain things, and women goes, oh, but if I don't, he'll divorce me. That's a courageous woman, isn't it? That says no to God's, no, I'm not going to break God's commandment, but I will divorce you. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give in to that particular thing. For example, 
she's a martyr. She's a confessor. Children, for example, who had their parents go against them because they were going to church. Wives that were persecuted by their husbands. Husbands that were persecuted by their wives. I know it says, uh, Australia says no to violence against women, but um, I've met some very violent women. And um, I've seen some husbands, very, very scared people. And some of them do weightlifting too, but they're still, you know, they, they, they will be there and sit there and get clobbered. So I say Australia says no to violence against men and women. See, that's what happens with feminism. They went, to, they went on one side to combat the other. So they went to combat that men were horrible to women, but now they've gone to the extreme where they're horrible to men. And they've got more rights. So we've shifted now a bit. And I think they're starting to work a lot of those things out now, and they're trying to go back, but they'll just go like yo-yos back and forth. Because when you haven't got, when you haven't got the Christian faith, it's all wrong. But in the Orthodox Church, you should see the canons against men, how they, they treat their wives wrong, and this, and this is an active. And, and, and as a spiritual father, a lot of times, I'm continually reprimanding men if they don't help their wives and this and this and that. This is not uh, Christianity. Those in the West, they had this mentality of women are subservient. and see, They had this show on 60 Minutes, I think it was, of um, these women. Some traces of correct, though, I actually liked some parts of it, where they said that they, they want to submit themselves to, the, to their men. And they had examples of around three or four couples, and they were going through them, that they, these women say, I'm happy to submit myself to my husband and be obedient to my husband. Some said I find it really, really hard. I still try to, you know, I still try to think, but I know that it's better to leave the responsibility to him. And some of that's got truth. But the way they portrayed it, they had a man sitting on a lounge chair, as if he was a pasha, and, um, and, the, woman, and the woman was around serving him and then um, putting on his shoes and then do that. But not, you know, that's not... And then another woman where the man was in the bathtub and he was, she was scraping, she was... Um, had some type of horse, I don't know what it was, like, like a horse brush or something, and was brushing his, um, r- brushing his back. And then people were, uh, when people see that, they go, if that's what is obedience to a man, then um, forget it. And that really was, um, as I said, traces of the truth, but not the complete truth. And I was, I was like um, shocked because it really puts people off. But in the Orthodox Church, that's not how it is. A woman is obedient to a man. A woman honours the man when the man is head of the household, yes, but loves his wife like Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church such that he gave his life for the church. As a human, as God, of course, he can't die. And the man loves his wife such that he is ready to give himself up to death for his wife. He, um, he takes care of his wife. And really, if you read deep into it, the slave is not the woman, in a sense. It's the man. Didn't Christ say, I am your slave? I, I, it's like 
I, I am your master, but yet I'm washing your feet, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Christ gave the example. And that's the same as the man. The man is the head of the household. He has the responsibility for the children and the wife, etc., etc. But he's taken care of the, the woman and suffers for her. And what we say in Greek, frondizes for her. What's the word in English? Um, cares or takes care of her in everything. You don't just get the woman pregnant and she has the baby and then you just leave her like that. But in the Orthodox Church, the man takes care, makes sure, is she rested? Is she okay? How is she psychologically? Is she depressed? Is she this? Is she that? I can't see that being that the, that the man is um, a pasha. And I've seen men that actually practice that and I would say, they say to me, he goes, oh, I'm run off my feet to take care of the household, the responsibility. And when the woman sees the man taking care of her, when the woman sees the man caring for her, when the woman sees the man um, thinking about her, really caring, I don't mean just external, so people don't find out that um, he's a pig and pretends now and then when people are around and go, are you all right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about men who really, really, really care for their women Women automatically in return love, their honour, respect their husband and are obedient to them. Some, as I said before, I met a guy who kept on saying, my wife's not obedient to me and my wife's not obedient to me and why doesn't she listen to me? And so that, well, it's a bit, you know, it's difficult to be obedient to a pig. <laughs> and he looked at me with shock. You're a priest, how can you call me a pig? I said, because you are. You're a pig. Because you want, I should have said to him, because you should go on to 60 minutes, right? And you can be one of them and have your wife there taken and massaging your feet. Nothing wrong with a woman massaging the man's feet. But I tell you one thing, a proper man more massages his wife's feet because his wife's all day with the children, which is much more difficult than being at work. And that's why a lot of people prefer to go to work. And that's why a lot of women prefer to go to work. Because it's easier to go to work than what it is to take care of the children. That's why they, take, they, let the, they don't take care of the children. So anyway, I said to him, right, if I meet him again, I'll say to him that I do a sequel of that on 60 Minutes. You go on there and take the wife that you treat like a horse on there, right, and have her to do all those things for you. But that's, and let her be obedient because she's scared of you. But that's not obedience because... A woman who's obedient to the man is not because she's scared of him, but because she is because she honors him, because she sees that he is taking care of her. And this is the thing, and you might not understand it properly, but the more you read, the more you practice it, the woman who is in that position that has a husband who does that is blessed. And the woman who submits, and I'm telling you this, the following submit meaning you're obedient because you love your husband, because you trust your husband, because you see that your husband cares for you and he's ready to die for you. That is what it means, an orthodox marriage. Not these people on the TV. with the, the, I just couldn't get out of that. The woman vacuuming and he was there <laughs> and he was really fat as well. And he was just there and, and then the other one came and was massaging his feet. And the other one in the bathtub, as I said before, with the horse's brush, and then there was the other one outside in the balcony and relaxing, and this, and there was another one doing weights, and his wife was around dusting things and this and that, 
and they go there. Now, that is, to, to a Western mind, to a Western mind, maybe that would appeal to some people in the Middle East, but not, not, to, uh, not to the Westerners. To the Westerners, they would, I think they would have to run to the toilet to vomit. If they saw that, and I think from what I heard, because some people told me that when they went to work the next day, people were just going mad about it. So that's the thing. So we laugh about it. That's okay, as long as we're laughing at ourselves. No, 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 no don't laugh at the others. When we laugh, I don't mind. I say the joke to get, to get the message across. But when I say it, I don't expect you to be making fun of the others. I'm expecting you to reverse it on yourself and, and practice it. And there's a lot of people here that are married, some people that are newly married. That's the secret. And unfortunately, some women have been brainwashed from young, and some men. So men have been brainwashed to go, we are the champions, we are the boss. It was like that. What, what, is that the way it is? It's like a teacher walking into a classroom and the kids don't even know him and goes, I'm your teacher and you're going to listen to me. They don't know him. They don't respect him. Who's he? He has to work to gain the respect. Then he starts to sacrifice and stays after school to help at lunchtime and he cares and he's teaching and he's really transmitting the knowledge across, like anywhere. And then the kids start to respect. I had the same problem. Every school I went to in the beginning, it was always the same thing. They just had no respect. Sometimes it took me a couple of months until I gained respect. And how did I do it? Not just through punishments, by showing the students that you care, taking care of them, sacrificing for them. I never had much lunch. And the other teachers would say, oh, he's an idiot. He stays in the classroom and helps them and does that while we're having our coffee and tea. But the difference is that, yes, that's true, I didn't have much lunch. I didn't have many lunches, especially in the beginning when you go to school. You've got to establish yourself. But every day in the period, the ones that were busy having their coffee, later on when they were on class, and you would hear them, shut up, be quiet, stop that, sit down. Don't do that. Listen. Don't talk. Open your books. The bell's going to go. You haven't opened your books yet. <laughs> read this. Read that. Do this. Do that. And that's it. That's okay. They had their coffee. I didn't have a coffee. But I'll tell you one thing. I had a good time. I was teaching. The children respect, etc., etc. While with them, they had the problem with the polka dots and things like that. <laughs> so... That's just an example because I, was, because I used to teach before, so I'm, I think about that. I did it for 10 years. But it could be in anything. It's the same with the man. The man slowly, slowly, don't get married and then all of a sudden say, I'm King Kong. That's not how it is. Because some men do that. They go, I'm married now and I'm the boss. And what have you done to deserve such respect? I'm married. I am, I am the, I'm the, doesn't, the church, doesn't the church teach that the man is the head of the household? And they go through all the Bible and look at all the quotes. The man is the head. The woman should be obedient, this and that. But they conveniently miss out the part which says that the man should love his wife and, and take care of her even to the point of sacrificing himself. And as I've said before, I've seen it in practice, men that are really taking care of their families and their wives, etc., are basically worked to the bone. They are really, that's my, that's what it is. And the wife, in return, respects. Even the worst of women would respect that. I mean, there are some exceptions that some people are, Strimenia, as we say in Greek, some look really backward. But even St. John Christum says, you keep on doing your duty. If the woman's not good, you do the duty. If the husband's not good, well, the women have to do it. Some women are like martyrs. They're keeping their families together. And even though the husband could be really off 
alcoholism or gambling or just doesn't care and you see some of these women really try it's hard and everyone's got different functions it doesn't mean that because the women are taking care of the children it doesn't mean that 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 is inferior and then what women that want to be like men and be the head and that and you, that's why a lot of women now start to say i don't want to be the head i don't want to be in charge i don't want that pressure it makes me sick i just want to do take care of the children take care of the house etc etc and they're happy that way so that's the martyrdom of saint constantine the new martyr and i brought up all those other examples of martyrdom with the husbands etc and and also women that that are bringing up children um that's a martyrdom like i've i've just and I've, i've encountered especially when you have a child and you have another one and it is really really difficult blessed really fruitful if you really understand what god's commandments are that through childbearing you'll be saved etc but a proper orthodox marriage is truly a martyrdom and that's why in the orthodox church we have the symbolism of the crowns the crowns are showing that uh marriage is like a martyrdom but why would someone want to suffer well, saint constantine suffered but he received blessedness and the same as us in this world we will suffer but we receive blessedness because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violence that could by force we will suffer in this life but the but the but the suffering is joined also with the blessedness questions anything even if you don't agree to something maybe I didn't say it properly because sometimes you know it's hard not not using notes I'm just reading a little bit of life so I got to do like I might I might not I might leave something out or Yes. Uh, um before you had mentioned um like about going to a for example somebody's 21st party where there's some blasphemous music. How about um for example if you're in a classroom and the teacher is blasphemous and like what do you do? I mean that's sort of like the party except you're not even that's you know, like even that's a problem because he's trying to get his his um philosophy across to you. I had that encounter many years ago where there was a student at a tech he was doing HSC and the teacher in there was saying blasphemies continually so I made the student go to the principal and say I'm not I don't want to be subjected to that I don't want to listen to that it's not right and um he stopped after that the principal sometimes they do because they get away with it so you have a right to to complain to to complain write letters etc so they're not allowed to bring their ideology into the classroom and say what they believe in their blasphemies and things like that. But again, you might say uh oh, this is where you know you you might say the compromise. If I do speak up, he might mark me yeah. low. Yeah. Like there was an example of a history teacher again with the same student, he was doing the HSC tech and he was doing modern history and in the modern history this teacher was continually saying about the russians and how they were bad to the jews etc etc and all this going on and on and on and on and um i said to this person look just wait because i was confident that to let him listen let's see what he t- let's see what he says uh, usually i would say no but for this person because i knew he, he knew quite a bit let him let the teacher go on so he did that and then later on at the end of the session they had to do a presentation each student had to do a presentation for the end of the you know just just before the hsc and uh, he decided to speak about holocausts 
and even though he wasn't supposed to. He was given five minutes. He gave out sheets to all the people just in case um, the teacher stops him during the session, during the, his presentation. He gave out that. He had an overhead. And he did a, 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 um, a, like a little lecture on Holocaust. And in there he says there are many Holocausts. Unfortunately, we only hear about the Jewish Holocaust, which is correct. Isn't it? Yeah. However, there are other Holocausts. And he went through all the other Holocausts and this and that. And he, that man, he became very red that day. I think it was from sunburn. He was really, really red. And um, he was tapping the, the desk and I was saying, stop, stop, stop. He just kept on going and kept on going. And at the end, the students gave him a standing ovation. They were clapping and really, really happy with that. And this person was coming just about, I think, first in modern history. But he was marked very low thereafter. He did that. That's all right. Christ saw that. And that's, the, that's it because he was doing what he was doing. He was doing other things that I don't want to go into because people can say I'm anti-Jew and all that. But he was doing things and that weren't really appropriate. But he could have went, the student could have went to the principal and said, look, he's this, this and that. But he didn't because it's a bit hard to prove because he's come up the same from a historical point of view. So he gave his finale at the end. Yes, he got only 60 or something. He should have got around 90. However, that's okay. That's, that's his thing. And that's sometimes we have, these are the type of things that I'm saying that we are confronted with losing our jobs, getting low marks at school, losing our friends, losing this, losing that. Uh, don't just read the saint that he was offered all these, all these things. We are also given the opportunity to choose between that and that. There's actually a move where, because there's references to Jewish, to the Jewish people in the Bible, there's actually moves by these people to say they should be all removed. You can't remove things from the Bible. That's history. That's what happened then. You know, our sins be the, uh, our sin be on, on on our children, whatever it says, and all these things in there. That's history. That's what happened. Do you know that the Bible has been termed, even in university, as the as the best historical book in the world? People refer to the Bible to understand history, the New Testament and the Old Testament. You can't just change it. If we're going to change that, then we should also change the fact that the Germans were involved in the Holocaust. Because when we make reference to Germans, and people can hate Germans. That's a fact that Germans were involved. And it's a fact that all those things in the history of the church, they did bad as well. But we can't change history because it might offend people. So you've got to be careful. As I said to you last time, there are many Jews that are actually converting, and I think there's a prophecy as well, toward, that many of them, towards the end of the world, will convert because they will, they will not accept the Messiah, which will turn out to be the Antichrist. We believe with all our hearts that Christ is the Messiah, as was prophesied in the Old Testament. They are still waiting for him. To say that, they are waiting, that, they, that they're wrong doesn't mean we're anti-Jew. We say that they're wrong. That's it. Next. Question? See, for me, if I don't hear questions, it means I failed. So I want to hear questions. That's a teacher thing. You know, you don't hear questions, it means either they've understood or that. But you've got to stimulate interest. I can't, I, I, you know, I want to believe that I've stimulated interest. So I want to hear some questions. Don't be um, embarrassed. Anayota, question. I can see you've got something that you want to say. That's all right. Uh, you, you know. Thank you. No one else? Wait, wait. No. We have a sec. Another person. Yes? 
you next. What about in the case where um, if you have a married couple uh, where one of the spouses is, is completely antagonistic towards the faith and views that it is, um, it, it's a waste of time and a waste of someone's life? That's a martyrdom in itself. St. Paul says, if the, if the other person's willing to stay with you, then stay because you might, through your patience, um, win that person over. However, when the person become, can become dangerous, really trying to change, change you by force, and, uh, and you might have problems where sometimes, say, the husband against the wife, the wife can, you know, can have suicidal thoughts. It can be really, really bad. She might not be strong enough, etc. The church doesn't say, you've got to stay. You know, the church has to have discernment of the situation. Um, some men or women stayed in such situations and did win their husbands and wives. Some left. I personally think that it's better to say, I'm not, I can't stay and I'm not, I don't want to divorce because we don't want to divorce unless it's for, where it's for fornication. Even some people forgive their husbands and wives for that. But they just say, look, separate, to calm down until the situation can be assessed. Give the person time to think what he's done. A lot of times people start to say, I've lost my marriage because of the way I am, and they begin to come to their senses. Some, of course, it is really bad, but some men especially can actually do really bad to their wives because they've got control problems. And when they see the wives, they're, called, they're like what's called control freaks. And when they see that the wives, that they've lost their wife, their slave, then they become quite aggressive and they've actually, you know, set them alight with petrols and killed them and shot them. And there's a lot of that going on especially in America, well, where else would it be if it wasn't there? But that's, um, that happens a lot. So, you know, this is where discernment has to take place. A lot of prayer because some women just cannot do that unless they're going to change of identity and run away. And sometimes these men still find them. You know, it's like a lot of problems. And this is where you need God's grace to help you in such situations. And some people that have been in those situations because it's so impossible, they don't know, they go, I don't know what to do, there's no way out. Those type of situations is what really gives the person that faith in God and say, only you can solve. No human being, no psychiatrist, no sociologist, no one can help me because you see that the situation you're in is so bad. And those people become closer to God because of difficulties. When we're in difficulty, when our children are dying, for example, when we see our child dying and the doctor said we can't do nothing and then people just pray to God. Sometimes a person can get better, sometimes it doesn't, but still, all these situations that look impossible to man, are possible with God, God knows, but it's very difficult. Yes? Um, how far should you go with friends, um, depending on how into Christian they are, um, to maintain relations with them? Um, Some people say to me, um, the question was, how, do, how far do we go with people that are not Christian if they're our friends, and how much can, should we tolerate before we cut off and all those type of things. Some people ask me questions like, um, is it a sin to go to a soccer match? Or is it a sin to dance? Or is it a sin to do this and to do that? You know, all those type of things. And I look at the person and I've got to really see who the person is. And then some people say, oh, is it a sin to play soccer? And you go, well, for example. And you look at the person and they don't even go to church. They don't even believe in Christ. So... So they don't believe in Christ, and you're going to tell them, no, don't play soccer because it's this, this, and that. It doesn't go. So what you do is you've got to look at the person. The more a person goes closer and closer to God, the more he or she sees themselves that certain things are not appropriate. 
Like you can say to a woman, you shouldn't wear makeup, for example, because that's what the canons say. The canons say that, don't wear makeup. The New Testament says that. But I don't say that often because it, uh, I used to say it, that doesn't work. And, um, but if the person's a practicing Orthodox Christian, they're responsible to listen to God's word. But if the person's just a person that goes to church sometimes, doesn't even know who Christ is, they can go to church, they can even do their cross, but they don't know nothing about the church, and to say to them like that, it's like you're making them into like um, uh, externals, you know, and they're going to stop um, that or stop wearing makeup or stop boogieing on the dance floor and things like that. It doesn't, I don't really believe in those type of things. I believe that the person, the closer they are to the church, the more they'll see it themselves. So they themselves will see. Some of them wear short dresses, okay? Um, as time goes on, the more and more and more they become close to the church, they begin to see themselves, themselves they see it's wrong. But to go now and say, you know, you shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that to people who aren't even in the church or don't even practice church life, I don't like it. Some preachers, for example, you know, I wouldn't say it, but some preachers, even from Greece, they make statements like this. But I don't think you can get away with it here. But anyway, he says statements like, a woman who wears pants will go to hell. That is by a preacher. Um, is that the actual statement he says? Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That's, that, that's, that is really silly because that's part of life now and it's very difficult to just say like that. Like that's just like telling a, a, a person who's um, an alcoholic just to stop like that or a gambler, stop abruptly. You know, it's very, very, very difficult. You can, you know, and if they're not practicing orthodox lives, what does it matter if they wear pants? Oh, that really doesn't interest me. Or what happens if they wear this? Or if men walk around in inappropriate clothes, just not just women, just men, all these type of things. There are certain things, but you can't, can, you can't really do those things. I don't think it, I don't think it works. I mean, if I did that today and this and that, well, I, you know, I'm, I think I'd be stampeded. So it's very difficult, and, and not because I'm scared to say it, but I choose as a my as a pastoral decision. I say to myself, that's not going to help people. Bring bring people to the church. Bring people to the. the thing. I mean, when I changed, I changed it around nine, uh, 22 years old, 23, whatever I old I was. And I knew I had nothing to do with the church. So I started going to church and started confessing and, and practicing and going to church often. I used to go overseas. And then as years went on, I was realizing that there were certain things that I was doing that wasn't right. I didn't even think that it was wrong. Didn't even think of it. But if I had some person come on me, you know, like I was in an interrogation with bright lights or water torture, and start sticking my head in the water and then back of me as if the torture and say, you know, you're not allowed to do that, and out, and in, and out, and in. Well, what's that going to do? I mean, that's like a figure of speech, but that's how it is with some people. They're very fanatical, and they go and tell people, you know, you shouldn't do, you shouldn't do, and they come up, and they speak it in their face, and if you do, you're going to go to hell, and oh, it's tiring even thinking about it. It's just very tiring. <laughs> uh, you had a question, was that you? Oh, I actually had a similar one. Uh, oh, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure if you answered it, um, but yeah, how far you can go with... Um, Oh, well, that's what I'm saying, that um, if people are openly hostile to the church and they're yapping on about that all the time, you know, well, I think, I don't know why would anyone would want to hang around with people like that. But, you know, there's some people that are, might be ignorant, but it goes on according to the person's own 
spiritual life. The more you lead a spiritual life, the more yourself you won't find these people fulfilling. Not because they're off, not because they're evil, not because they're demons, not because they're... You just don't find them fulfilling. You rather hang around with people that are of the same spirit. They're the same. That's why when you go on those internet uh, dating things, they now they have their profiles and then they say, I like this and I like that. And there's some organization there where they try and match the interests by doing special computer programming and they add the interest. You know, if one likes fishing and she likes fishing and it goes together and a few more matches and then you're compatible, which is ridiculous because, I mean, that might be a few things. And then you're compatible. But that's really, I mean, you've got to uh, yourself realise, and I don't think it's, it's uh, symphelon as we say in Greek, but it's not um, beneficial. beneficial to tell people this and that, unless it's a really serious matter, you know. People got to, got to look at that themselves. And that's why I, I remember meeting um, a young lady the other day and she said to me, I, I want to marry someone who is compatible and has the same interests. And this person tried and went out with different people and, and said, but, you know, they're not in the church and if they are in the church, they don't believe in the same way that I do. So that's her right. She wants to be with someone for the rest of her life that has the same Things. So when you when you're um, with your friends, if your friends have nothing to do with fasting, what are you going to do? You go out, they're having McDonald's with all the preservatives, and you're and you're um, and you're eating just the gherkin, but that's their business. It's not my, I don't I don't like it myself. Questions? Yes. What about when relatives? Um... <coughs> Yes, that's... That's a good question. What happens when our relatives start to... Couldn't even put us down or say, you've got no love, and Christ didn't teach that, and things like that, and why don't you hang around with us, etc., etc. So, you try not to aggravate. Don't make it obvious that you are not hanging around with them because... They don't go to church. I read once an epistle from a Russian hierarch back in the 1930s where someone wrote to him and said, you know, I've been invited to some party and what, what should I do? And he goes, just say you're sick. Excuse yourself. Well, that's, that, that's what he wrote. And you read the Optinels and that, you just try to avoid things without saying, the reason why I'm not coming to your party is because you're a pagan. And the reason I'm not coming to your party is because you're going to have a DJ and the devil's there and he's dancing with you while you're dancing. If you don't stop that, then you're going to go to hell and all these type of things. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying an example of what people might do. So we avoid that because you aggravate them. When the time comes, if you have to, you say the truth. But I don't think it's necessary to say these things to people. Um, and you just, and then they're going to say that you support their party. Right? And then things like that. Um, the saints in general just try to excuse themselves. Even the ones that, like for example, the other day there was a life of saint of the three Orthodox that went to Persia or somewhere as ambassadors or something like that. They went there and then, and they were, they were pagan. They were into worship of fire, if I remember right. Anyway, it's not important what they were. They, were, they weren't Orthodox. And they, and the, they, were, they went there as representatives of Constantinople and Persia at that time. wasn't part of the empire, but they had relations, you know, even though they used to worship fire, whatever they worshipped. 
And they went there, and then the emperor, the, the, the king of that kingdom, the pagan, saw that during the celebrations they were worshipping fire, whatever they were doing, he noticed that the three stood apart from them. Interesting. He noticed that the three people from Constantinople stood apart and did not participate. It's interesting that those three saints did not stand apart with banners <laughs> saying that, you know, the fire is the demons and you're all going to go to hell and things that didn't do that. They just stood apart and they didn't say anything. Then the pagans saw them and said, why aren't you joining? They didn't say anything. They said, why don't you join? You're going to join. They go, no, I can't join. Why? Because we are orthodox. We're not going to join. And then they killed them. The time came. But they didn't go there and start going in the middle of the worship of the fire and shouting and screaming and saying this and that. So I think if we use those type of examples, even with our relatives, even if our relatives could be orthodox, if they're not practicing orthodox Christians, but sometimes if God enlightens, that's what I was saying with Mike, where he, he made a comment about that sometimes we do have to speak up, that's why we pray and ask God to always give us wisdom to when to speak, how to speak, They're not to do damage to people. Sometimes we can make people worse. Like what I spoke to you tonight about that sin and renting. I, you know, I would be very careful when I meet people. If they're orthodox, if I see that they've got a, they're listening, they've got a good disposition, I'll slip it in without talking about them. I'll say that's, um, I'm this and that, I'll talk about it in general and then move away. Give them time to think about it. But I don't say, do you do that? If you do that, you don't do that. That's my thing. And you read the lives of saints, you'll see that. Sometimes the saints did confess, but there were few that did it that way. In general, they shut their mouths, just like in um, Constantinople today, that are in the, where the Greek patriarchate there is in the hands of the, sorry, the, the countries in, the, is in you know, with Muslims, the Turks. And you don't see the Greek Orthodox going in the street and saying that Muhammad's not a prophet. They don't say that. If the time comes, if they come there, like they did in Kosovo, where some extremists actually got an Orthodox monk, um, Hariton, I think his name was, and they, uh, they found him in a, in a grave. He was um, carved up quite a lot. Um, he obviously uh, confessed the faith because the time came. But in Kosovo, the Orthodox Christians there do not go around and stand outside mosques and say that you are false people. They don't do that. So if they don't do it, then I think we should be careful the way we do it. Sometimes we have to, we've got to be very careful. It's not a full recipe to say, for that you do it, for that you don't, for that. It's a grey area which needs a lot of prayer. Next, anything else? Elias. It's similar to this question mm -hmm. this gentleman just asked, but well, the question is, what if it's something like it's going to be more regular and it's going to happen? Like, I'll give you an example. If you, you're you trying to practice orthodoxy and you're fasting, and then the other side of the family don't really practice it, and then there's feast, like, then there's days like Pascha comes along, but they celebrate a new calendar and you celebrate an old calendar, old orthodox calendar. Then you've got Christmas comes up and you celebrate that on the orthodox calendar and they don't. I mean, these people are inviting you and you're fasting. What do you do in that sort of... I'll give an example of that. The, the question is, what do you do when your family... Because you can't make an excuse every year. Yeah, like your family has a Christmas, but it might be different calendars. Um, or some people, they, they fast, you fast, and they're not fasting, all these type of things. And the Elias is saying, what happens there? Um, what came to mind as you were speaking, just one example. 
not exactly the same, but I'll say the example and see what you think. During, I think, the Turkish rule, some Christians were captured for some reason. Probably they were, the Turks could have been um, suspicious that they were starting a rebellion against them. They got them and they said, we're going we're gonna to hang them. So the Orthodox bishop or patriot, whoever it was there, went to the Pasha, the Sultan, whatever he was, and asked that he free them. And it was Good Friday. And I think the execution was going to take place that day or the next day. It was Good Friday. And um, the Pasha said to him, you came during lunch. We're going to have lunch now, and I invite you to stay. Because they had, they had relationship, the Turks with the Orthodox, you know, even though... They were not very nice people at times, but they didn't. Sometimes they actually let the churches go in the monasteries. Some, some were better than others, some were horrible. This one could have been an, a nicer person. Anyway, he said to the um, bishop, um, I want you to stay, we're going to have lunch. And he goes, okay, uh, we've got lamb today, but it was Good Friday. And he goes, I'm sorry, you know, ruler, whatever. He called him respectfully because he was the ruler. Um, it's, I don't eat. It's Good Friday. And then the Pasha said, eat, or, they die, or, or they're going to die. And he ate. Now, how do we interpret that? Some people will pull their hair and say, that's, that's blasphemy and you never break the fast. Never, never. And that bishop should be defrocked, according to the canons. The canons even say that if a person doesn't hold the fast for Wednesday, Friday, and priests and this defrocked and they should never be priests again all these type of canons that exist in the in the Rada and yet this example the fathers that wrote the example did not condemn him but that doesn't make sense because you do not and we know that from other examples of saints that they were told to eat and they didn't eat and they died and some that did eat were, were said that they were apostates and they were cut off from the church how do we interpret that um, that particular thing. So how do we interpret that? This person was looked at as being good, but the other people that ate were not good. They both ate, on, let's just say, on Good Friday. This is where you need the discernment and not just to read examples and go, oh, that's what it means, that's what it means. You've got to be very careful and understand things slowly. Don't be like a drunk. Like a drunk, you know, he might do something. He can drive. Sometimes they can drive, but most of the time they just go all over the place. They kill others. They're reckless. They're not sober. That's the same in the Orthodox Church. Some people are drunk. They're not sober. Not drunk on alcohol, drunk on themselves. And they read things and they're, and they're recklessly, they're holding the Bible in their hand or they're holding the rudder and they're telling people, You're, you know, I'm, um, I've got the rudder and the cannon say this and whack them on the head and say that's <laughs> the way it is. And, and, uh, because they're drunk on themselves, just like a drunk is where he doesn't know what he's doing. So... Let's look at this in a sober way, not in a drunk way, and sort of way say that he should be put to death because he ate on Good Friday. Why did he do it? What's the difference between him and the others that were condemned? Who knows? That's right. It wasn't, he wasn't told, if you don't eat, you're going to die. He goes, if you don't eat, they're going to die. He broke the canon, which is wrong, in a sense, but he chose to... The lesser, yeah. to avoid the greater. If he was told, you're going to die, he would have said, I'm not going to eat. Yeah. But he, they, but the Pasha said to him, 
they're going to die. So out of love, he broke the canon, even though it's against his conscience, to save them. Now, back to your, um, your, your statement. Yeah, there's all different cultures. Well, can, I mean, would you go and just eat the salads and, and whatever? You try to do whatever you can not to do it. And you can also try with love and, you know, carefully and say, look, this is what I believe. I would like to come. I want to spend time with you and this and that. But make me a meal which I like and to respect that without telling them, you have to fast, and you should be fast, and this, and that, and that, and that, and you know what I mean? And bother them. You say what they, and then, and that's, and that's it. Now, if it gets to the stage where your mom will say, for example, I'm not saying your mom's going to do this, where she's possessed and gone crazy and says he's going to jump off a cliff because you're not eating meat with them, well, that's up to you to make a decision whether you're going to allow her to jump off or you're going to actually break the fast. To cut, because some people go like that. Don't don't think it's a joke. Some people actually go like psycho, like that. Saint Dionysius, yes. He lied. Saint Dionysius lied. He sinned. He he lied to protect the the killer of his brother, of his own brother. Remember, you know that story, don't you? The um, uh, Saint Dionysius was a saint on Saint Zacchaeus in Greece on an island, and this man came. And said that the police are after me. Let me hide in the monastery. So he hid in the monastery. He goes, what's wrong? He goes, I killed a man. Because, you know, and he goes, well, you know, do you want to confess? He goes, yes, yes, yes. So he confessed. And while he was confessing, he confessed that he, and that he killed the man, said the man's name, which was the saint's brother. This is the actual saint's brother that he had killed. The saint didn't say anything to him. All of a sudden, knock, knock on the door. It was the police. They go, have you seen such and such? And he goes, I have not seen him. Is he here? I haven't seen him. And um, he lied, which is a sin. And he took that decision on himself. That was his pastoral decision. The saints were very sensitive. And even, even a lie, even for a joke, they used to bother them. They didn't even lie even for a joke. For any reason, they really hated lies. They considered lies as the worst sin, which people do all the time now. But anyway, he did that. And he, he did that to, for, for, to help the person, to bring the person to repentance. If the person was dragged off, maybe he would never have repented. You know, the, the brother was gone. That was it. Um, he would pray for the brother, but he, he looked at the person as a soul to try and help him. And that's a sin. So sometimes we have to choose, like I read in a St. Macarius of Optina, an epistle where someone said, um, my mother wants me to do this, but my husband wants me to do this. The mother, the mother was telling the, girl, the, 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 the wife, you know, you do this. And the husband would say, no, I want you to do it this. Now, if she did what the husband says, then the mother would be really upset. And then she'd be breaking the commandment to honor your mother and all that. And then if she didn't do what her husband said, then she'd be doing the commandment to be obedient to your husband. So she was in a, this, this, this was a situation where, without a doubt, she had to sin. She had to do a, one or the other. So she chose, the, the saint said, you choose the lesser sin. And the lesser sin is to be disobedient to your mother because... You have to be obedient to your husband as being the biggest commandment. You don't want to break that. So she said to the mum, I'm sorry, mum, I can't do it. I have to be obedient to my husband. So sometimes we have to, it depends on the situation. I don't know your situation. I'll have to speak to you for a while to see how do they react, what they're going to do. You know, they're going to go berserk. Are they going to start, you know, bashing you? And they're well, it's up to you. you. That's, that's where you make that. If it's not a dangerous situation, you just say, I don't want to eat.
and you just be nice and you tell them from before and please don't. You know, there's ways around it, but especially to pray beforehand. And sometimes when you pray, God can enlighten them just to leave you alone. You know, at prayer, a lot of times we, we do things without prayer. Okay. That, that it? That's the last question. It's 9.44, very late. Some of, some of you got tired, but I noticed that it's good that, you know, you're able to um, stay for so long to listen. But I can't congratulate you fully because some of you do it by going to the cinemas for three hours. Or some of you watch TV for five hours. The fact that you chose to come is good. To listen to the, to, to, to listen to the word of God is um, good. But at the same time say, but I bet if it was a DVD you'd stay longer. So sometimes. But, but I've noticed that you people have, you know, are, are interested in things like that. But by nature, because a lot of us did lead worldly lives, we are more inclined to worldly things. If I go to a supermarket and they play something, they've got the music going, I can tell, if it's a, one from my time, I can tell in a couple of first beats what, what it is. Just a couple of beep, beep, and I already know what it is. Because I listened to it when I was young. And my soul, don't be, don't, you know, don't stone me, but my soul is more inclined to that because from young, that's what I was saturated with all my life up till the age of 23 or 24. That's what I had. So, so it's in you, it's in the roots. This, that's, that's, that's what's caused spiritual struggle. And with the, with the chanting of the church, I have to force myself. With prayer, we have to force ourselves. But with the worldly things, you don't have to force yourself. It's much, it's there and it's there. And I can listen and I know what it's going to be. And, you know, and sometimes you notice that you begin to move your hand to the beat, etc. Because that's part of our souls. Where we, we did that. And so, you know, I don't mean to say that to scandalize you. It's a fact. That's how we are. So but to actually say... I listen to music all my life and I have no problems. I have, I have no problems. And I would say to the person in a nice way, well, the first problem is that you're deceived. <laughs> because um, it's there, it's in you. And it's in you more than what you think. And monastics know it better because monastics, because they're praying in the monasteries and struggling, it all comes. All the past comes more than people in the world because the people in the world are more involved in it. They're exposed to it all the time and TV and music and oh, all, so there's a lot of it and these things are still in us. But when we go away, cut ourselves off from that stuff for a while, it begins to come out. So sorry for scandalising you, but that's the truth. The, through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God of mercy, and save us. Amen.